the first case for argument this morning. First case for oral argument on Tuesday, October the 17th, 2023, case number 22-2250 in the District of Minnesota, Midwest Medical Solutions et al. versus Exact Tech U.S. Mr. Shirker? Yes, Please proceed when ready. Thank you. May it please the court, Elliot Shirker on behalf of Exact Tech. The question on this appeal is whether the district court abused its discretion in denying Exact Tech's motion for leave to replead its original counterclaim after this court reversed the summary judgment in Exact Tech's favor. That decision we submit revived Exact Tech's rescission and reformation claims as pleaded in the original counterclaim and not repleted in the amended counterclaim which was submitted after the summary judgment ruling. The inflection point we submit is whether the counterclaim ceased to be a part of the case permanently when Exact Tech filed its post-summary judgment amended counterclaim. Reduced to its essence, the question is whether the counterclaims were waived. There's no waiver here. Exact Tech told the district court in so many words when filing the amended counterclaim that the summary judgment had mooted several claims which would be repleted if Midwest overturned the summary judgment order on appeal. Aren't those two terms inconsistent? Moot means dead and replete means alive. So tell me why the term moot isn't a bad word. Well, Your Honor, the words they actually used were law the words they actually used were law of the case, which we acknowledge was not an accurate portrayal of the partial summary judgment order. But what the summary judgment order did was to rule on the four corners of the contract, hold that it was unambiguous, and ruled in Exact Tech's favor. That necessarily was the death knell for rescission and reformation claims, which turn, of course, on factual questions when a contract is not clear on its face. Midwest's response, and I think this is important, to our amended counterclaim was silent on this point. We specifically said that we would replete if the summary judgment order were overturned. Midwest said not a word. But why did Exact Tech do anything with respect to those claims? Why didn't they just let the pleadings stay as they were and let the matter proceed? Why did it take any action with respect to those two claims to eliminate them? Because the effect of the summary judgment order was to render those claims meritless. Okay, so fine. So why did Exact Tech need to do anything at all? Our position in filing the amended counterclaim is that other counterclaims were live, and we pleaded those, although we ultimately dismissed those claims so that there would be a final judgment that could be appealed after the partial summary judgment. But our position at the time was keyed completely off of the summary judgment order, which construed the contract in our favor. There would have been nothing to try, Your Honor, on the original counterclaims. They couldn't be tried because the judge had essentially ruled those claims meritless, although ruling in our favor on the contract, the ruling that was ultimately overturned on appeal. And in your filing, you recognized that it could go to appeal? Yes. So you recognized at that point that it wasn't necessarily permanently moot, as you say? Correct. It was clearly the intention of the parties to bring the partial summary judgment to this court, and indeed they did. 
Right. And, and, but the, the claims were dismissed with prejudice. The counterclaims when you yes, brought this those, up. Right, the, right. The, the live counterclaims were dismissed with prejudice. That's correct. And so you think that leaving a statement in your pleading that says we intend to reinstate counterclaims later means that the district court has to, has to honor that? Is that sort of granting your own motion in advance? Uh, it means that it's not a waiver. And that's the, the legal basis for the district court's ruling, essentially, is, is waiver. We rely on this court's statement in acuity. If I might quote it, 959 F3rd at 999, it is not waiver, it is prudence and economy for parties not to reassert a position that the trial judge has rejected. We submit the purported legal basis, waiver, is, is defeated. The remaining question, of course, is was the denial of leave nonetheless a proper exercise of discretion, which is the secondary question. We note this case bears no resemblance to the Ash decision upon which my, my opponents rely. The plaintiff in Ash rested on the complaint. When the defendant moved to dismiss, there was no request for leave to amend until two days after judgment with no explanation for the untimely request. We rely on the Seventh Circuit's Empress Casino decision. We believe it provides the appropriate guidepost, and this Court's precedent on this issue has often turned to Seventh Circuit decisions, so we think it's, it's an appropriate circuit at which to look. In that case, there was a summary judgment for the defendants in a dispute over legislation requiring casinos to pay a percentage of receipts to a fund for the horse racing industry. Essentially, this was an offshoot of the Blagojevich governorship. There was a partial reversal under one of the two statutes that had been adopted by the legislature and signed by the governor. And on remand, the district court allowed the plaintiffs to amend their claims. The Seventh Circuit held, quote, the amendment was a prompt response to the altered landscape of the case after we affirmed summary judgment on the 2006 Act claims but allowed the 2008 claims to go forward. Here, we signaled directly that we, we would do exactly what we did following this court's reversal, which we submit is all the more reason why the amendment should have been allowed in this case and why it was an abuse of discretion to deny the motion for leave. Thank you. Thank you for your argument, counsel. Mr. Dystrom. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. Eric Nystrom on behalf of Midwest Medical and Hugh Bradley. Uh, contrary to the statement of the issue before this court today by Exact Tech, I think the proper focus on this is whether the district court abused its discretion when it refused to amend its scheduling order. That required a showing of good cause by Exact Tech, and when the district court found that Exact Tech voluntarily dismissed its counterclaims for reformation and uh, rescission, it couldn't establish good cause. And I think that finding is absolutely correct. In fact, if you look at procedurally what happened here, uh, this is a case where summary judgment motion, the summary judgment motion I filed, was filed within two weeks of the complaint being filed. What I expected to have happen at that time was that Exact Tech would file a Rule 56 motion and say, I need more time, we need to defer, we need to do discovery on our rescission and reformation claims, because those are effectively a defense to the position that I was advocating. That never happened. 
Instead, after the summary judgment motion came down in their favor, they simply, out of the blue, amended the pleading and left these claims out of it. They were just simply dismissed at that point in time. Well, this gets to, for me, what is an important point, and that is whether there was any reason that Exact Tech was required to do that. There was no reason at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Exact Tech's position is that that order rejected its position on reformation and rescission claims. That's simply not true. That summary judgment issue, or summary judgment order, all it did was address the issue that was in front of it, which is, is Midwest entitled to restricted period compensation and the amount of that compensation? Nothing more, nothing less than that. Uh, there was never any mention of waiver in the case. Uh, that never came up until this appeal, quite candidly. Uh, really, what I think was going on here was that uh, in amending its complaint and making that statement, Exact Tech recognized the vulnerability of the summary judgment order on appeal. Uh, and the, the reason that I say that is that, as this court recognized in Midwest One, when, in, when addressing the critical language in the agreement, the district court never even addressed that language. And I think that what happened here is that the exact tech recognized that there could very well be a problem on appeal, and it wanted to hold a claim in its back pocket in case that it lost. I think that's that simple. One of the other things I think that is implicated here is came up in a case that was decided earlier uh, this summer uh, by this court, the Inray Midwest, or excuse me, Inray Municipal Stormwater Pond litigation. And one of the things that came up in that case was there was a concern. And while this case doesn't involve a question of this court's appellate jurisdiction. Was that case in your brief? It was not in my brief. Okay, is it in the other side's brief? It's not in the other side's brief. You better give brief. us a Rule 28J letter in regard to we, it. We will certainly do that, Your Honor. It was, okay. That case was decided after the briefing was submitted. In this, yeah, that's in this what matter. 28J is for, but proceed. We, we will do that. Yeah. But the, the concern that was raised in that issue, in that case, was the finality of judgments and making sure that all of the issues are litigated and resolved at one particular time and that we don't have piecemeal appeals, which is exactly what is happening here, is that we have piecemeal appeals. I'd like to address, um, finally, the Empress Casino case. And I think that case, frankly, is irrelevant to the issue here. Uh, exact Tech focuses on the alacrity with which they moved after this court, after they lost on the merits. That really wasn't the focus of the Empress Casino case. If you look at that case, what happened was is that it came back on appeal for trial and the Seventh Circuit focused on two things. Number one, the claims that they were introduced into that case, and they found that they're one step back. The Seventh Circuit focused on the prejudice from allowing an amendment. And they found that there was no prejudice because the claims were based on the same facts as the RICO claim that came back, and no additional discovery was required. In this particular case, that's not true. These claims involve something different certainly related to the question, but they're based on different facts, and they re required the discovery to be reopened. I think one of the things, a question that comes up in my mind is that we, are, uh, we have a case, quite candidly, that involves a straightforward interpretation of a contract issue, and we're now four, more than four and a half years past the filing of that case, and we still don't have a final decision. I think that begs the question of really what is going on here, and I think the answer is that the claims that we have here, there is some procedural strategic decision-making that's going on. They lost, and I think that they have to live with that decision. We would ask that the district court 
decision be affirmed. One final comment on that, Your Honor, is that the relief that uh, Exacta is asking for here goes to the issue that's before this court. One of the things that Exacta is asking for is not only a reversal of a judgment, but an order that they be allowed to reinsert these claims into the case. The simple fact of the matter is, Your Honor, the district court never even reached the motion for leave to amend. Its analysis focused on the motion to amend the scheduling order, and when it found that there wasn't good cause, it ended its, its analysis. And it certainly wouldn't be appropriate if you were to reverse this case to order the district court to allow that amendment. That's all I have unless you have any questions. Well, uh, I want to kind of follow up on my question earlier about whether Exact Tech was required to take the action that it did. You said no, they weren't. Well, why wasn't that a permissible or within the range of permissible options for Exact Tech? To dismiss? Right. Well, first, first and, of all. And to advise the court, we're, yeah, we're going to, we may raise these later. Well, first of Why all, wasn't that a permissible um, course of action? Uh, two reasons. One of which is it certainly wasn't required by any rule of law or any district court order. But second of all, what it does is that it, in the notion that I have to respond to a, in a pleading that they're going to reallege these things, there's no motion pending. There's, it's simply a pleading that I ultimately answered. But the fact of the matter is, is that what happens is they're signaling their intent, Your Honor, that they understand that there's a real problem with this summary judgment issue on appeal. And what they're really trying to do is they're trying to backstop in case they lose. And what they've done in that case is now we've, we're faced here with a second appeal and a piecemeal appeal. It's an issue that, frankly, could have been resolved before the trial court, before the first appeal, and we should have been done with this case. That's why. Well, if, if Exact Tech had not taken the action that it did, would, would, have, would an appealable order have even existed at that time? It would, because what we would have ended up doing is the claim would have remained in the case, and, and there are one of two things that would have happened. Had they not dismissed the, the claim, I would have taken discovery on it, and I think that defend, those defenses of those claims would have been subject to summary judgment. I just don't think there's any question about that. If they hadn't have been, we would have gone forward and we would have tried them. You know, even with the district court's summary judgment order out there, one of the things that we could have done at that particular point in time is we could have asked for an advisory jury verdict on that as well. So they could have been resolved in... Well, I guess what I'm asking, the district court granted partial summary judgment um, and made a call as to the interpretation of the language of the, of the contract, right? That's correct. Now, but also at that time, the rescission and reformation uh, requests were in the case. They were. Okay. So um, that being the case, wouldn't the, wouldn't the case have proceeded in the district court? Absolutely. absolutely, absolutely, it would have. So was that was that a tactical decision um, by Exact Tech in order to create a situation where the matter could go could be appealed immediately? No, it wasn't, uh, and, and the reason it wasn't is because after that decision came down, I proposed that very solution, Your Honor, and uh, Exact Tech didn't respond to it. That's not in the record, though, I bet. It's not. Yeah. Okay. Proceed if you argue. They could have, but they didn't. Despite my best efforts to uh, 
position this case for an early appeal, they, they weren't successful. It's, that's all I can say about that. Uh, in the end, again, the issue here is whether the district court abused its discretion when it found that Exact Tech voluntarily omitted these claims from its amended counterclaim and therefore couldn't satisfy the good cause standard. That's what this appeal is about. And based on that exercise, a sound exercise of discretion, the judgment should be affirmed. Thank you. Any other questions? Thank you for your argument. Mr. Schrecker. Your Honors, everything that my opponent has to say in response to our position could just as easily have been said about Empress Casino. Let me explain why. First, the decision very much addressed the good cause issue in so many words at pages 831 through 32 of the opinion. Because the casinos sought to amend their complaint after the deadline set by the district court's original scheduling order, Rule 16b-4 required them to show good cause for amendment, a standard that primarily considers the diligence of the party seeking amendment. So that was the issue that was addressed in Empress Casino. Second, the reversal in Empress Casino, without going too far into the weeds, held that the plaintiffs couldn't succeed on what they called the 2006 Act. That was the first statute that required the payments uh, by, the, by, the racetrack, by the racetrack owners. It said could proceed on the 2008 Act issue, uh, issues. But the court also noted in its opinion that in Empress Casino 1, we signaled that there might be a problem in showing a pattern for RICO based only on the 2008 Act. So the decision came out on August 15, 2014. On October 2, 2014, the motion to amend with the state law claims, on which I'd note that they ultimately, the plaintiffs ultimately prevailed. So the court signaled, you've got a problem with your case in the appellate opinion. You've got one statute left, and there's a problem here under the federal RICO statute. And in prompt response to that, albeit without having signaled before that they would do anything like that, the plaintiffs moved for leave to amend. My opponent also mentioned, well, we'd have to take a lot of discovery if these claims came to life. That's addressed in Empress Casino at page 832, where the court noted that the substantial discovery was allowed after the amendment and that the defendants weren't prejudiced by allowing the amendment after the reversal. We submit that this is as close to an indistinguishable situation as, as we're likely to find in the law, in that we responded. Had we, let me, let me put it this way, if I might, Your Honors. If we had never pleaded rescission and reformation at all, and we only pleaded rescission and reformation in response to this court's decision reversing the summary judgment on the face of the contract. We believe we'd win under Empress Casino because that's pretty much what happened in Empress Casino. Here, where we specifically said we're not waiving, we will replead these claims in the event of reversal on appeal. And my opponent says, well, so you, you knew that there was a possibility of appeal. If there's anything that everybody involved in the Empress Casino decision knew that was going to be an appeal, 
one way or the other, and indeed there was. Uh, if we had done nothing, we'd prevail under Rumpus Casino. That we did more and put our position clearly on the record certainly shouldn't cut against obtaining the same relief. Thank you. Thank you. Let me see if there are any questions. Any questions? Okay. Thank you, Your Honors. Thank you both for the argument. Case number 22-2250 is submitted for decision by the court. Ms. McKee, our